Well, Father in heaven, we come to you this morning in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, seeking thy blessing, that this will be a faithful reading and explanation from the book of Revelation, the last book in the New Testament. And Revelation is very much a neglected and ridiculed book by many in professing Christianity. The same is true of Genesis, which is rubbished and rejected. And yet both books are wonderful. Both books share much of thy glory. And therefore I seek thy blessing this morning, O Lord, and for the next several weeks and months that I'm able to read this great piece of scripture, very much inspired, and understand it, as I say, explain it as well as is possible, and hopefully bless those listening as a result of being able to do so. So for this morning, let's start, if we may, in the book of Revelation. And Revelation was written by the Apostle John at the end of the first century. And I believe that John did write the book of Revelation. Some people like to question his authorship, but I have no reason to doubt that he wrote this incredible book. And I'm going to do my best over the next several weeks and months to teach this historically, prophetically, spiritually and doctrinally and that's quite a tall order because this book must be taken literally once you decipher these symbols once you apply the symbols in light of other scriptures this book will open up to you and yet I will say this that I spent the last seven days reading this incredible book I mean really reading it and making mental notes and What you can't do with Revelation is go to the Pauline epistles to get further light. Even the Gospels don't really help. You need to go to Leviticus. You need to go to Daniel. You need to go to Zechariah and Isaiah. And when those books are all opened up and you read Revelation in light of those books, especially Daniel, then this book comes alive. But let's take our time this morning, if we may, looking at the first chapter And Lord willing, cover all 20 verses. Revelation chapter 1. Let's start, if we may, in verse 1, please. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God, and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. Chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation the message of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And yet saying that, allow me to say this, that as far as time is concerned, God isn't restricted by such a thing. The Lord is outside of time. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. And I thought to myself last week, When I started to read this piece of scripture, could we say this? Could we say that from chapter 1, verse 1, you've got God the Father giving this message to God the Son, who then gives it to God the Holy Ghost? Because we were told from 2 Peter Peter chapter 1, verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Meaning this, that Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel didn't just get together one day and say, let's write a book and call it the Bible. No. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they are moved by the Holy Ghost. Which means this, that they were moved, they were inspired 
When I say they, I mean Old Testament prophets by the Holy Ghost. Which means this, that the Holy Ghost is the author. He is the main person who is responsible for the word of God, being the word of God. He inspired the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles to write the scripture. And yet from Revelation chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ comes from God the Father. And therefore from God the Son, it goes to perhaps... God the Holy Ghost. And yet this piece of scripture seems to be inspired by Jesus Christ. This piece of scripture seems to come from the pen or the mouth, if you will, of Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, I can't overlook that piece of scripture that I just gave you from Second Peter chapter 1 concerning the Holy Ghost being the author of scripture. Paul would tell us how all scripture is inspired of God and how the Holy Spirit is the author but the latter part of Revelation 1.1 is somewhat of a puzzle to me. And he sent Jesus and signified it by his angel unto a servant John. And I thought to myself, yes, it could be concerning the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is referred to as the angel of the Lord, post the Lord Jesus Christ's return to heaven. But before the Lord came to earth, back in the Old Testament and even parts of the New Testament, Jesus Christ was referred to as the angel of the Lord. But I thought to myself, it may just be that this term for his angel could be Daniel. Because we are told back in the Gospels how those of us which are saved in glory are like angels. And if that's the case, then you've got the father delegating to the son, delegating to Daniel. And yet I can't get away from the fact how all scripture, including Revelation, is inspired via the Holy Ghost. He is the author of the entire Bible. And yet saying that one more time. It could just be that this book is the exception. This book is inspired by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the author of this book. And he gives this message to John via Daniel. Hold that thought. I may come back to it. Verse 2 again. Who bear record of the word of God. Lowercase uh, w for the written word of God. And of the testimony of Jesus Christ. John was chosen for service. And of all things that he saw, he was also an eyewitness of the Lord's ministry. And that's why I believe that John from verse 1 is the Apostle John, John the Beloved. And yet some people would have you believe that John didn't write this piece of scripture, somebody else did. I don't accept that. I'm going to stick with this being written by John uh, during the end of the first century. And I'll come to that shortly. And because he was an eyewitness of the Lord's ministry, he is qualified to write this incredible book also referred to as the Apocalypse. Verse 3, Blessed is he that readeth, and hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. You are blessed for reading, and if you can't read, you are blessed for listening. So if you are hard of sight, you will be blessed for listening to this piece of scripture. Get hold of an audio recording if you need to. So this book starts with a blessing, and it closes with a curse. So you are blessed if you read it, you are blessed if you hear the words from this piece of scripture and keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. And yet one more time, God Almighty lives outside of time. We are very much restrained from time or by time. In fact, I've only got 30 minutes this morning to try and open up this initial chapter. I am bound by time. And yet here you are told that the time is at hand and yet from chapter 12 uh, verse 
12, I think it is, chapter 12, verse 12, the last part, it says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, watch it, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. He has a short time, and yet he hasn't yet come down to the earth. He hasn't yet been thrown down. He hasn't yet been kicked out of heaven. He's still very much active. He's still very much going around like a roaring lion, signet of our whom he will. So you are told several things here. You are told that the time is at hand, and yet that could be in reference to hundreds, if not thousands of years. In fact, the last part of Revelation from 22, uh, 22 uh, verse 10 Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, unlike Daniel, for the time is at hand. Time is imminent, and yet again, what we're going to read over the next several weeks and months is going to take a greater application. It'll become more relevant over the next 2,000 years. So hold that thought, and I will hopefully further explain that as I go through these verses this morning. Verse 4, please. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia... Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is a faithful witness and a first begotten of the dead and a prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's break this down. John to the seven churches literal First century churches, predominantly Gentiles, meeting in people's homes. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Not Singapore, not Malaysia, not Indonesia, but concerning Europe, the Mediterranean. Also touching uh, parts of Turkey as well. Grace be unto you, very Pauline. And that term grace, you think of God's righteousness at Christ's expense. Grace be unto you and peace. There's a great word there, peace. We have peace with God, our Lord Jesus Christ. From him which is, present tense, I am that I am, and which was, could be concerning uh, Christ's first coming to the earth, and which is to come. And if it is concerning Christ's uh, coming the first time, then this piece of scripture will be concerning the rapture, the tribulation, the millennium, and the eternal state. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And I spent the last three days trying to work out this term for the seven spirits which are before his throne. And I got my hands on three reference Bibles by three great premillennial scholars, all dead. And those individuals all take you back to Isaiah chapter 11. In fact, your Bible probably has a cross reference back to Isaiah chapter 11 uh, from memory. I think it's verse 2. And I went to that piece of scripture from Isaiah chapter 11 and I read it and I read it and I read it and it didn't help me because from Isaiah chapter 11, in fact, go to Isaiah uh, and you'll see the problem that I had. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 11 and remember what I just said, seven spirits and from Isaiah chapter 11 you were told that the cross-reference would be verse 2. Now count them. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, number 1. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, number 2. 
the spirit of counsel and might, number three. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, number four. At the most, you've got four spirits, not seven. And I thought to myself, why would you take somebody back to Isaiah chapter 11 to try and explain this term for the seven spirits? It makes no sense. So I thought to myself, I wonder if the answer is in 1 Corinthians. So I went to 1 Corinthians, and please turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I thought, maybe Paul can help us out here. And yet keep in mind what I said too, that the Pauline epistles don't help us with Revelation. Revelation is a book which stands very much on its own. But I thought, nevertheless, I would go to Revela- uh, 1 Corinthians anyway, just to see if it would help me. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, take a look at verse 8, please, and count them as well. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, number one. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, number two. To another, faith by the same Spirit, number three. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, four. To another, the working of miracles, five. To another, prophecy, six. To another, discerning of spirits, seven. To another, diverse kind of tongues, eight. To another, the interpretation of tongues. You got nine. Doesn't help. So I went to Galatians. And I thought to myself, so we got nine aspects to the gifts of the Spirit. How many fruits of the Spirit do we have? Can we get any nearer to trying to understand what is going on? I went to Galatians. And I thought, perhaps Galatians can help us out. And I'll get there shortly. And I went to Galatians chapter... Five, and I looked at verse 22, and I count them. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, one. Joy, two. Peace, three. Long-suffering, four. Gentleness, five. Goodness, six. Faith, seven. Meekness, eight. Temperance, nine. Doesn't help. So back to Revelation, I thought, I've got to get this straight. So Revelation, chapter one, verse four. I thought, what does it mean? And from the seven spirits, capital S, which are before his throne. I thought, what is going on here? There aren't seven holy spirits. Isaiah doesn't help. First Corinthians 12 and Galatians 5 doesn't help. What is going on here? And it dawned on me that the seven spirits, which are before his throne, are angels, which are assigned to the seven churches. It was right under my nose. But it took me three days to try and understand what this was all about. But let's move on. And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, pretty clear to understand, and the first begotten of the dead. He was the first to go into the, uh, into the tomb. He was the first to die, and he was the first to come up out of the tomb. And on top of that, he came out of the tomb. He rose from the dead by his own power. But this last part from verse 5 was also of a bit of a puzzle to me. And the prince of the kings of the earth. I thought to myself, the prince of the kings of the earth? Not the king of kings? Not the lord of lords? A prince is less than a king, right? And I thought about this for quite a long time. And it came to me that Christ, at this present time, is waiting to take his throne. And Christ, at this present time, is a prince in heaven, waiting patiently to come back to the earth to take his throne. And then he becomes king of kings and Lord of Lords. It's like this. In the UK we have the Prince of Wales. And he is waiting in anticipation to succeed his mother to the throne. She is the Queen. She is the Sovereign. And he's been waiting for 50 years. And that's a picture to some extent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Waiting patiently to come back to the earth. To become the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So for now he is the Prince of the Kings of the Earth. 
For now, he is the prince of peace. But when he is good and ready, after the rapture, he will come to the earth and he will become the king of kings and lord of lords. Unto him that loved us. He loved you before you loved him. He died for you before you were even born. And therefore salvation is completely supernatural. It's completely of the Lord. And on top of that, we call this provision. He provided an atonement for you, but you have to appropriate it. You have to receive it. Washed us from our sins, all of our sins, in his own blood. That's what saves you. The blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ. Don't give me baptism. Don't give me works or church membership. Don't give me confession. I was an older boy before I was saved. It did nothing for me. But I wasn't saved until I received Christ as my saviour, until I got under the blood. And here you are washed. You are cleansed. You are set free from all your past, present and future sins in his own blood. And I mean his literal divine blood. Don't cheapen the blood. Don't spiritualise it. In fact, don't spiritualise this book. Take this book to be literal. And I will speak about letterism over the next several weeks and months. But for now, for this morning, for Revelation chapter 1, take the words in this book literally. Don't water this book down. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Kings wear crowns. And kings wear crowns in mansions during the millennial reign. But for now, we are spiritual kings, and we are spiritual priests. And I'll explain more of this when we get to chapter 11. So you are made kings and priests, and the New Bibles changes to a kingdom of priests. But that term, a kingdom of priests, completely misses what is being spoken about here. Because you are royalty. You are a royal priesthood. You are something special. You are far more than just a servant or a believer. But the overall uh, purpose for these verses thus far will be for the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So those six verses very much set the tone, the pace for this incredible book. But let's move on. I'm slightly out of time. Look at verse seven, please. Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him and they also it's pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so. Amen. He comes with clouds. And those clouds are going to shield his holiness. Every eye shall see him. Not concerning the rapture of the church. But concerning the revelation of Christ. Concerning the return of Christ to the earth. And they also which pierced him. Could be concerning the Romans. They put him on the cross literally. Could also be concerning the Jews. Who conspired against him. And how incredible it is that the Romans are still in power today. In the crowd we refer to as the Roman Catholic Church. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so amen. Now to wail is a powerful word. During World War I, during the four years which saw the death of millions of British, French and Germans and also Belgians. One of the awful sounds that those men would have to listen to night after night were horses just wailing just screaming. The entire intestines are being ripped out. They were caught in barbed wire. And the sound of those horses screaming in absolute agony drove many British, French and German soldiers almost insane. And those poor horses were very much innocent and yet at the same time they were victims 
of that awful event. And here you've got people that are wailing. Now, can you really appreciate that? I'm not sure that I can. I mean, to wail in the sense of being in absolute meltdown, absolute fear. Not only are they aware that he's coming back, but they are wailing because of him. They are running from him. And yet John says, even so, amen, let it be. Incredible. But it says how he cometh with clouds. Not just one cloud, but many clouds. And again, take it literally. Don't spiritualize this. And those clouds are A, picturing his deity, of course, and B, picturing uh, his holiness. They're going to shield him from wicked eyes. But it says how every eye shall see him. Those on the earth, those that look up into the sky, and those that are watching television, no doubt, and the internet, no doubt. We now live in the generation that could see his return. And it's quite remarkable that if you've got satellite television, or if you have the internet, or you have a smartphone, you can see what is going around the world live. You can speak to people around the world. Look at today's broadcast. It's going out live on the internet. Just 10 years ago, this wasn't possible. But now it is. And if I think what we are reading about this morning could be nearer than we think. But look at verse 8, please. I'm Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Did you get that? I'm Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning of the Greek alphabets, and I'm the end of the Greek alphabets. Alpha is Greek, Omega is Greek. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, present tense, I am that I am, and which was, first coming, and which is to come, rapture, tribulation, Millennium, the eternal state. But watch it. The Almighty. Did you get that? I am the Almighty. What a great scripture to show Jehovah's Witness. I am the Almighty. And you ask yourself this. Who else ever said such a thing? Did Muhammad ever say such a thing? No, he didn't. Did Buddha ever say such a thing? No, he didn't. Did Mary ever say such a thing? No, she did not. But here, Jesus Christ is telling you that he is the Almighty. And also verse 8 being the number eight is God's number. This is such an incredible book. Nine. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I, John, am your brother and companion in tribulation. Not the great tribulation, but daily tribulation. And I was in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. The isle that is called Patmos, a Greek island. For the word of God, again, lowercase w, concerning the written word of God, whereas Jesus is referred to with a capital W. And for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here thanks to the Emperor Domitian. I'm very much in bonds, like all of the uh, early believers were. Specifically, the apostles, I should just clarify. They were all in, all in bonds. They weren't walking around drinking cocktails, having a good time, unlike what you hear some mischief makers uh, teaching, they were very much up against it. In fact, all of the apostles, apart from John, would be martyred, and some would die awful deaths. Book of verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, 
and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamus, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. I am Alpha and Omega, Jesus speaking. I am the beginning of the Greek alphabets, and I am the end of the Greek alphabets, and I am in the middle of the Greek alphabets. I am the whole deal, as they say. What you see, write in a book, being the book of Revelation, and send it under the seven churches, which are in Asia. Again, being Europe, the Mediterranean, going into Turkey, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. These were literal churches in the first century. And yet what you need to understand is that these churches are far more than just local first century churches. These churches are going to be uh, spread out to cover 2,000 years. And that is what futurism is all about. And I will have to further elaborate on that in the coming weeks and months. But verse 10 is an interesting scripture. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, capital S, and there are two interpretations to this. Number one, John is saying that I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day being a Sunday, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, like the call to the rapture, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The second interpretation would be that uh, John has been transported to the day of the Lord, second coming. And both those views are interesting, and I won't completely uh, rubbish both of those views. But I'm thinking to myself this. When I first read Revelation 14 years ago, I thought to myself, this piece of scripture from verse 10 is very similar to what Peter would experience from Acts chapter 10, and also what Paul would experience from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. A new man in Christ, above 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. I went up to the house of Simon the Tanner and I saw this sheet come down from heaven and I was told to eat. You see, those three events are all very similar. I think John was in a trance to some extent. He was transported. He was shown something. He's not yet been removed from the Isle of Patmos. And yet what he's going to be shown over the next 22 chapters will blow your mind away. And I can see that I'm out of time for this morning, so I will close in verse 11. That's okay. I'll take my time with this book. I don't want to rush this book. This is a very deep book. But I will say this as I give a quick uh, wrap-up, quick summary from the first 11 verses that you've got. Jesus being delegated by God the Father, if you will, to give this message to his angel, which could be the Holy Ghost, and it could also be Daniel. And I got some scripture and some thoughts to share the next week as to why it could be Daniel and this message gets relayed back to John who writes it he is inspired a blessing is offered to those that receive it and that believe it and at the same time a curse is put on those that reject it so handle this book with great care this message will be given to seven churches seven literal churches seven gentile churches for the most which met in people's homes and they are told to Take note, because the Lord is going to commend them and also condemn them. You've got a reference here to what is going on in heaven. You've got a throne. You've got seven spirits, which I believe to be angels. And I will further elaborate on that next week. You've got Jesus Christ, who has been referred to as the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and at the moment is the prince of the kings of the earth, waiting in anticipation to come back and take his throne. 
He loved us, past tense. He washed us, past tense, from all of our sins in his own blood. And that's what we call imputation. We call that justification. We call that redemption. It's a great Bible doctrine, and yet very much misunderstood by far too many people. On top of getting saved, we are kings and priests. Now, for now, that is in a spiritual sense. But during the millennium, that will be in a physical sense. Literal kings on literal thrones wearing literal crowns. Just picture that, if you will. And priests in a literal temple. And I will further elaborate on that when we get to chapter 7. All this was done for the glory of God Almighty. 7 down to 11. Those on the earth are going to see him coming back. And they're going to wail. Because they are sinful. And he is sinless. And he comes on clouds which shield him from the wickedness on the earth. And yet Alpha and Omega... The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Also verse 4 and verse 8 match up together quite nicely. And verse 4 and verse 8 show that God the Father and God the Son are the same in unity. They are the same uh, when it comes to their attributes. Not when it comes to their personage. They are two different persons, if you will, but they are the same when it comes to who they are or what they are. They, uh, they enjoy the same power, the same privileges, so on and so forth. 9 down to 11, John wants you to know that he is also a companion in their tribulation, that what they are going through, the seven churches, he was also going through. And yet in verse 10, he will be transported, he will be shown future events, which Daniel was partly shown and yet not allowed to explain or open up until the time was applicable. And yet John was told to write and open up the book, open up the seals start to further elaborate as to what is now about to occur. The key here is imminency, and yet at the same time, God hasn't yet come back to do this. So this book is still very much in the future. I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. It's incredible. And what thou seest, write in a book. There's a good scripture for inspiration. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, and vicariously to all of those that are Bible believers, and Asia one last time being Europe. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. And they get this book and they read it and they probably quaked in their boots. But I will come back to that thought next week. And we will pick it up next week from Revelation chapter 1 verse 12.